Up next on episode 72 of Stack Overflow, Joel and Jeff sit down with John Skeet, a software engineer at Google London and the first Stack Overflow user to achieve a reputation of 100,000 from IT Conversations. Hi, this is Phil Windley. Today I'm excited to bring you another great program from Stack Overflow with Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood here on IT Conversations. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. And now, here's Stack Overflow. Anyway, it's not Tony's fault that he's not a very good developer. Humanity has let him down. And my aim over this 30-minute I mean, talk is to try to distribute the blame over three groups of people that I will come to in a sec. Because the problem is that when Tony is writing his Waffle application, he's there busy thinking about the domain of Waffles, and he's struggling with some difficult, you know, how do you get all the maple syrup evenly distributed over the Waffle? And then suddenly he comes up with a problem in some core bit of functionality that he was just assuming would work. And this is not intentionally anything like the Coding Horror logo, but it just came out that way. Tony should be able to rely on simple things being simple, but he just can't. And I blame the users. Users have this expectation that things will work in the most obvious way for them. Even if the next time they do exactly the same thing, the obvious thing that they wanted to do is different to what it did last time. And every user has a different idea of what is obvious, coming from different cultures, different contexts, and wanting to use our applications for different things. Mankind has come up with an incredibly complicated model for the world. And the next group of people I want to blame is the architects. Now, I'm using the term architect in a very loose and woolly sense here. I'm meaning anyone who is building the platforms that we build on. Whereby platform, I mean operating system, libraries, runtimes, protocols, specifications, anything we're depending on, it's their fault. And the trouble is, they tend to take this complicated model that humanity has come up with and say, we need to abstract that away we will instead come up with a just as complicated model which is subtly different and doesn't quite accomplish what the original model does. So I blame them. And I blame us. We have four problems as developers. Firstly, we don't understand the complicated model that humanity has come up with. After all, we're not real people, we're just developers. Secondly, we certainly don't understand the slightly different model that the architects have come up with. Thirdly, we also don't understand what it is we're trying to build in the first place. And if all of those three go right, we then screw it up with an off by one error. So it's our fault too. So this is podcast 72. You were tuned to Stack Overflow podcast number 72, special guest, Pope Benedict 16. No, we canceled on Pope, remember? 
Oh, John Skeet was available. Oh, that's John Skeet. <laughs> yes, I know John Skeet is here. It's amazing. We're, we're actually where are we, Joel? Where are we? We're in London. Yay! Well, he's very excited. Still coming down from the plane. I'm so yes. happy to be in London. Yeah. So uh, welcome, John. And also, John is also kindly hosting this at the Google office. We brought a little bit of recording hardware, but uh, John Skeet kindly set up a. Is there a funny name for Googleplex London? Like uh, Google? No. Google. Really, you don't have some kind of a UK. <laughs> Not that I'm aware sure. of. Like the, the, the Google tip or the Google... No. No. Um, it's just a place. Yes. Belgrave House. That's right. I tried to say that to the taxi driver, and I guess he didn't have the knowledge. Yeah, we had to... Of the Belgrave House. Revert to the street location. Yeah. So, John, you were mentioning that they do... Uh, Mostly mobile development here. Is that, is that okay for us to talk about that? Yeah, I think we can safely say that we do mostly okay. mobile development here. Um, I'm not sure whether it's safe to say what else we do. Sure, sure. Probably totally because cool. I can never remember it. Changes all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, it looks like you're responsible for the salaries of people in Russia. At least. <laughs> There's some weird notebook that somebody left in here. We we're like, what is this? <laughs> we probably shouldn't be talking about that. All right, I'm putting this away so nobody's tempted to look at it. That's yes. away on a chair, not in backpack or anything like that. No, no, no. no. Yeah, no photocopies that you know about. Uh, so, so let's talk a little bit about John Skeet because John Skeet has become a bit of a celebrity. Oh, because you never do that on the podcast. We never do that. No, we we don't really want. You know what? Jeff and I originally had. This well, I just want to give people who happen to not know John Skeet the background yeah. because there, there's something interesting about uh, this the situation, which is that we didn't know anything about John Skeet. Like John Skeet just magically appeared on the scene. That's right. And uh, actually, the first we heard about this was that you went on, a, I believe, a podcast with uh, Scott Hanselman, and you were just saying really nice things about Stack Overflow. And I think you knew about me vaguely before then, because there was one podcast, uh, I've been on for about a month, uh, and I raised concerns about the RepCap. Oh, the RepCap, yes. And you sort of read <laughs> that oh, there's been this used voice suggestion by some guy, John Skeet, I don't know, and read it out. Ah, yes. And that's yeah. true. That's true. That's a very good point. And 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 being that you exemplify the the reason for the rep cap existing, <laughs> it's actually a bit shocking because we actually ran the numbers. If, and this was months and months and months ago. If there wasn't a rep cap, uh, John John would have like I, I, like probably double the rep he has now. Would have it's a ridiculously large I think number. It's about two hundred and seventy thousand. Yes, it would be very, very. Oh, just he just happens. To he know. just happens to have a spreadsheet. That it would be yes. the points that he deserves and the points that he actually got. Well, Jeff pointed out that if you go to the tag stats page, but get rid of the tag, you can see total number of non CW. That's true. Votes and things. So take from that and work out roughly how many accepted answers and you know, just right. All right. So I have a question for you, Mr. John Ski. Oh, no. As the person who has the most points on Stack Overflow and pretty much has since the beginning. Well, no, no, no. no, no. That's, that's, I didn't get to that part. Of it. Let, let me pop the stack. Okay. So that's what's neat about John is he came on like after the beta. He wasn't even involved in the beta. Oh, really? He arrived mm-hmm. on the scene after the fact. Yeah. And and this is why we joke that we, we built like a, a John Skeet honeypot because like it, it, we, John has been around answering questions like not on Stack Overflow but like all over the net really. I mean, this is something that mostly use that. You yeah. do. I mean, this is something that John enjoys doing. It's helping other programmers and you know answering their questions. Are you an MVP? Uh, Good question. Uh, not <laughs> currently, no. Oh, that's right. There was a bit of a controversy about that, or a controversy, as they say here in England. Yes, there was a whole thing on that, which people can look up if they're curious. They can. They can. Uh, but that's what was fascinating to me, is that it seems like uh, the, the system we put together sort of was so attractive to you. Absolutely. In terms of, yeah. the, you know, enjoying answering questions. So I, it was just a great vote of confidence to see that, you know, we're attracting sort of the people who are good at this, 
you know, like doing it, have already done it over time, um, are really sticking with it. Yeah, I mean, it would be hard to see how it could be more tailor-made to suit me. So, you know, you've got loads of Java <laughs> questions, loads of C-sharp questions. It benefits people who are happy to sort of pop on and check questions throughout the day while a build is happening or whatever. Can whittle out a quick answer, edit it, you know, etc. Um, everything just suits me down to the ground, so... Right, and and then the other benefit is that it you know you get it makes you look good because yeah. you know you're the one doing all the work. I mean, I, I was right. talking to Joel, I was like, wow, this is a ten hour plane flight. But I mean, yeah. compared to the hundreds of hours that John Skeet has spent, on <laughs> I mean, this is nothing. Yeah, I was like, okay, that was annoying, but like, good lord, this is the least I can do for John Skeet. I was going to say that. I mean, really, that on a plane you have somebody sitting immediately to your left and immediately to your right, but that's true in the Google offices too. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, Joel is a little Only bitter. Only Joel is a little bitter not that bitter, the, uh, the Google offices are not up to his high standards of private offices for all programmers. Yeah, but the thing is, at Google, you're always sitting next to someone who is so much smarter than you. Are. That's nice. So, so you, know, you, you, you get into them. Yeah, you, you just gradually gain intelligence by sitting next to these people. It's fabulous. I, right. I'm st- I'm st- Until you go out on the street and you have to interact with the other people <laughs> who weren't gaining intelligence all day long. <laughs> Well, I, and I mentioned to Joel, I'm still reading Coders at Work, which is fabulous. And I got to the Peter Norvig part, and Peter Norvig is the director of research at Google. And he actually mentioned that they don't, Google is still trying to figure out. Yeah. Air, I mean, what the optimal arrangement, you know, Google is everything has to be optimal. Right. Oh, yeah. And there's all this data, and they're trying to collect it. They're trying to figure out, like, what is what works and what doesn't work. They, they, he explicitly know, mentioned. Offices, I didn't notice that in, in London. Most Google offices put, put four programmers in a room. They do great. We've got pods as well. Got so yeah, we've got sort of outside big you know, uh, castle pen of right. devs, and then there are rooms with sort of four, five, six people as right. well. Um, and you know, there's regular reshuffles, and you say, yeah, this team would really like to have a pod for a bit. Um, some do, some don't. Mm-hmm. Right. So sorry, I interrupted you with that long digression, but I just want to give yeah. people the background that John K. did come in after the fact. And well, okay, here's my specific bench. question about that, Mr. Jonsky. Uh, which is, um, we get, we're, we're launching this careers.stackoverflow thing. We've talked about that a bunch. And our idea is that rather than just having a, a resume or a curriculum vitae, as you refer to it, we're going to adopt that term for the American audience and call it a CV because it's sort of like something you would have even when you aren't looking for a job. Right. That's sort of the difference between a resume and a CV is that a resume is almost like a job application. Although, is some somebody... official differentiating thing or is that just, you know, you making up? Well, no, I've seen two differences. Uh, one is that a resume is one page and a CV is however many pages it takes. And the other is that a CV is something that true. an academic would have to list all their publications and to list all the appointments they've had mm-hmm. and all the honors and awards they've received that they would have even when they're not job seeking, just to sort of describe their, their, their career, you know, they're printed in the back of a book. Well, John, tell us your impression because I, one of the commenters made actually a very funny comment that. In, in the podcast, I talked about how resume kind of has negative connotations for us now because it's just been abused so badly. But yeah. in adopting the CV term, which we, we thought was broader, which I think is legitimate, and John can hopefully tell us if it is or isn't, um, is that it has some of those same negative connotations over here because they don't it say is, resume. They don't say resume, they say so they say CV. Well, we, we say both. Um, and to me, they're used just interchangeably. And it's always, everywhere I've been, you're encouraged to keep your CV up to date. And here we have a Google CV, which is the stuff you've done at Google so that other people can see, oh, you were in that project, you probably know about such and such. Right. There are right. so many projects going on. Right. Just that would never, like, like an American would never think of a resume as, as being for that. Right. If somebody says, I'm updating my resume, it means they're looking for a job. Yes. Okay. That's true. Okay. That's absolutely I, true. I, some people may have that connotation here as well. Um, yeah. you know, we're a small country, but I don't know everyone. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Not yet. Okay. Well, this is my question. So, because of this whole careers thing, um, we, you know, our assumption is that a, a resume or CV or whatever it may be, it's not a very good way to describe how good a program you are. But well, sometimes you're on Stack Overflow, you encounter people who you would obviously love to hire because they're so helpful and they're so knowledgeable, and they care to not only answer the question but to format it correctly and to test it and to kind of go the extra step and to provide all mm -hmm. kinds of if-def macros so that you can, you know, run your code different ways. And, and you can just tell that there are people that are genuinely like overly. You just know they're good programmers by the way they answer. Yes, by the way they answer questions, you can tell that they're um, what I like to call uh, the term from Rands is completionists. They want right. to take it all the way to the last step. Mm -hmm. They don't just want to solve the interesting part and then they lose interest. And uh, um, you know, this is one example, but you can see this from people's work on Stack Overflow. And so the whole idea of careers is let's merge these two things. Yep. And we always get one wise ass in the audience, <laughs> or wise wise acre, is that I'm trying to use the English terms for things since I'm in England. Yes. There's always one wiseacre who raises his hand and says, um, uh, "Well, why do you want to? Why would anybody want to hire people who are goofing around on Stack Overflow all day long?" <laughs> so, well, for the record, well, I John, think, yes. how many hours a day? Oh, um, did you the most prolific Stack Overflow user in the world? Because everybody else must be spending well, John, less time. I already know you have a great answer for this because I saw your comment on the blog, which I thought explained this really brilliantly in terms of like what you're putting into it versus what you're getting out of it. Oh, which blog though? Um, <laughs> I, I can't remember that comment. Um, so it would be really difficult to pin it down to a certain number of hours or whatever because it's a case of doing it on the train. I do it while I commute. Mm -hmm. um, obviously at home when I should be writing. Uh, <laughs> here when a build is happening or in some cases two different builds for two different projects are happening at the same time. You can't do anything else while you're doing that. Um, you've got no email left, so go on Stack Overflow. And you sort of think about that while you're also doing other bits and pieces. Um, so I think it manages to not not invade work too much, whilst actually it, it can take a fair amount of physical time without disturbing how productive you are. Yeah. And it means you're always sort of getting the hang of what else is going on in the world. Right. And so it, it's good for shuffling the soul. Well, it's almost like little puzzles, right? Like you're just, it, some people do Sudoku. Yeah, it's yeah. sort of brain teasers. Yeah. Do you ever research, do research before answering? You must. Yeah. Um, or I'm sorry, wait, I'm in England. You must do. <laughs> Sometimes. So usually if I know that I'm going to have to research, I mean, often there's little bits sort of look up on MSDN. What's that method yeah. called again? Yeah, I know yeah, yeah. roughly what it is, but well. Um, but would you ever like write some code, compile it to see if that solves a problem then? Uh, I would like to say I compile the code before I post it, but that's not always the case. Um, actually, it really has improved my ability to write code that will then compile and work flawlessly first time. Huh. Just small snippets, I mean, this is not. Sure. But um, yeah, I, I'm relatively good at that now. You, I, I, th I think that there's a level you get where you're, you're so comfortable with a particular language and a particular framework, yeah, or it's a, just a particular library that you're using. Uh, there, there gets a point where you just don't have to look up the, the seven arguments to create whatever, yeah. create process, you just know them. And I have been thinking it would be quite nice to have a little tool, um, or several tools depending on your language, so, say for C Sharp, one that you could say, give me an empty project mm -hmm. that would come up with a whole bunch of using directives, um, because it doesn't know what kind of thing you're going to write, be using, an yeah. empty static method, uh, stat static main method, and you start writing some code. When you're finished, you can run it so like a mini IDE, yeah. But uh, without taking the time to start, the Visual Studio takes. Oh yeah, there's there. There's like a skeleton app. 
Yeah, there is yeah, no, there's, 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 there's a few kind of apps. There's, there's, kind of, there's, yeah. like that. there's a great jQuery app on on the uh, on the web that lets you do that. Thanks. I think all the jQuery speakers have been demoing it. But so it should really be tailored for Stack Overflow sure. so that if you Ooh. go onto a method yeah. and hit F1 or something, it will either bring up the MSDN page or just copy the link yeah. into into your clipboard so you can then. Mm-hmm. Um, Link in the post where you're highlighting. Ah, I've called this method because whatever, and it can just format it nicely. You know, given how much yeah. crap they put in MSDN over the years in Microsoft, I'm surprised that they don't have a better way of executing the sample code that comes with MSDN, or even getting it into a project so they can run it. Yeah, I don't do that much with sample code, but just trying to find the link. I mean, it's not so bad now. Um, yeah, there is the a fairly predictable library URL for non-generic types and methods and things. Um, I've been thinking that would be nice to expand slightly if you could have some sort of offline cache of it. So you don't want to have to go to, say you're trying to find something on list of T, a particular method. Well, list of T is generic, so you can type in, I have shortcuts, so I just type msdn system.collections.generic, and that would go to the namespace page, mm-hmm. and then you've got to go down to the uh, class and then the method, and by this time, three other elements have been posted. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. So, if you had something that just could autocomplete and give you the MSDN link by the end, huh. that would be really handy. Um, so, yeah, I've played around with a little bit of auto fetching bits and pieces. Well, you know, one thing we want to do Wi-Fi. that we haven't gotten to that, and I know, I know you've brought up, and I'm for this. It's just a question of when we can do it. Is uh, smarter handling of like you know uh, smart links. You know, like if yeah. you put in some just abbreviated format, we would expand it for you. Yeah. In some defined format. And presumably what, starting with questions, posts. Yes. Obviously posts. starting with questions and answers. Like you, it's just a sh- like you have this in Fogbox. Like oh it's right. A way you, to, start taking, you start taking. You start typing the title of the case, and it auto completes with all cases. Wouldn't necessarily auto complete, but if you know it's case number two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. Then. That's actually. I mean, you could just type some words from the, from the case now, and it'll pop up. Uh, List below there showing cases that have those words in it. You can just do oh, cool. That. But that's if more you don't have that in the markdown, right then it's you know, yeah. If you don't have that complete stuff, because hey, it's just a text text area. Well, it's not really just a text area actually. That big WMD control has got all kinds of weird. I mean, it starts out. What, what you're describing is possible. That's yeah. more than I was thinking. That's a little bit of scope creep, but I mean, that's how Fogbugs does it, which is cool. Yeah. But in general, I would like our, our text pipeline to be more more pluggable. Like I would like mm-hmm. to write modules mm-hmm. that plug in, and I actually don't have a good way of doing this. It's just mostly it's just we haven't had engineering time to spend on it. But I think this would help stack exchange as well. Because yeah. one thing we talked about is like there's a flight stack exchange and there's a very right. specific way of referring to airports. Uh-huh. Right. That are known strings. So you could plug something into the pipeline yeah, and just expand that. Codes, the yeah. IATA codes LHA for airports. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. And I've noticed what a lot of stack exchange sites are doing, not to get into big digression on stack exchange, but we've been kind of impressed with people have been putting all kinds of crazy JavaScript in their stack exchange. Yeah, you should be able to do that stuff by just adding a little blob of jQuery. Uh, yeah, you can almost kind of do some of this on the on the client, almost. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little yeah. weird. I mean, I would prefer to see it on the server, or maybe you could do both. I don't know. It makes more sense to me on the server, but it's just, I mean, as a workaround, I'm... I, well, the one thing I don't know if anybody has done yet, that, I don't know if the math guys have figured out a way to do this yet, and that's what I really want to see is LaTeX. The LaTeX interpreters that basically re- replaced LaTeX, which is a math formatting language based on tech, with uh, like actual images of the math. But did, did, so wasn't there a query string way to do that, though? A what? A URL with a query string? One that serves yes, the image there back? Is, there is one that will do that. Right. I have seen a Wave robot that does exactly that. You type in a blip, um, yeah. your tech stuff, and it just... <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a big fan of those. Particularly like uh, on on the career side, we use uh, the Yahoo geolocation APIs, which are amazing. Yeah, they'll give us like 
geometry, not right. really detailed geometry, but like you go France, they like, give okay. you the outline of it. Yeah, and you can just type in anything, and it'll just sort of try to figure it out. And that's what we use in Cruise. We're like, wow, this is amazing. And yeah. it's just a service that they provide. There's certain limits, which I don't think will ever hit. They're actually quite high. Yeah. Um, well, that's mainly there because those things cost a lot. They use a lot of CPU time. They use databases that they have to pay to access. That well, that's also why we cache the results. <laughs> and yeah. we're eventually yeah, going to build up our own because yeah. we're like, whoa, what if this cuts offline? No, no, no they want you to do that, actually. They're perfectly happy for you to do that. Yes. It's the same thing with the Google uh, uh, Geo uh, API. But this is that like is modern it. programming now. Is like, yeah. is like these mashups. This is really oh, yeah. kind of modern programming, if you really yeah. think about it. Like right, with all the stuff right. that's wave that's going on, I mean... You know, I, I, the technology I'm a huge fan of, like HTML5, it just the, the idea that we're tying all these you know services together in a generic HTTP way, I'm a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. And the LaTeX thing you're describing, I think kind of already exists, but I, w- I think that would be a perfect application of it as well. Yeah. And I think some people are sort of uh, sneer at people say, oh, you're just plumbers now if you're just... If, okay, we were always plumbers. This service up to Joel, yeah, this Joel has the solution that we were plumbers at one point <laughs> back in the you know, 1970s. In the Why would we not want to be why would we not want to take great things that other people have done Absolutely. and make it look like it's out? Well, the only re- the only reason is that it becomes more biological and less chemical. By which I, I mean... no idea what you Yes, you did. need to explain that. I, okay, well, so... <laughs> ooh, he's come to blog post. Okay, if you, if you study physics or chemistry, things that you say are going to happen happen exactly the way you say they're going to happen. So if you study Newtonian mechanics and you say that I'm going to slide this thing along the, ro- the, the, the table here and it's going to hit that thing at some speed and they each weigh this amount and therefore it's going to do this. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, absent any air or anything like Quite that, that is what's going to happen. <laughs> Actually, and you will be able to measure it and that exact thing will mm-hmm. happen. And that's what C programming was like. And that is the world for which test-driven development is perfect. Now, what happened is that we started building larger and more and more complicated things that have lots of these little mechanical things that they're hard. And we've created so many levels of abstractions that what we're dealing with now is if you plant the seed in the ground, it will grow into a tree. That's the kind of stuff sometimes. you do. <laughs> and that's where you get the sometimes. Right, right, right. It works 98% of the yes. time, and it doesn't work 99% of the time, and sometimes the tree is facing the wrong way, and sometimes the seed doesn't work. The soil work, is bad. The soil is bad. The seed a million is bad. And you could try to get 10 identical seeds somehow that you cloned in a cloning seed cloning device. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that would be. And, um, and, and plant them in exactly the same soil, in exactly the same light, and give them all the exact same conditions, and you would get statistically normal variation uh, yes. in the tree height. Right? Agreed. And, and that's what programming is like these days. So, so you can't talk, as Peter Norvig wrote in Coders at Work, which I didn't read, but Jeff told me, he wrote, <laughs> but he wrote this somewhere else, that, uh, that you can't have uh, 100% accuracy for Google search results. You have to specify some well, percent. What does that even mean? What does it even mean for a have, search result to be to correct? Be correct. Yes, exactly. that's the problem you have. It, it has to be. What did that person mean? And what if they did not convey what they meant correctly? Well, this is also what I was getting at about the whole bug feature divide. It's like right. I don't think that it exists. I think it's, it's very much. Yeah, eighty percent of them are just. They could be a bug. Could be a feature. Yep. Could be something. So I don't it's know. all. So this is a lot more like biology than it is like physics or chemistry. Yes. It's moved so much up the abstraction stack because at the lowest level, yes, but we're so high up there that we're actually in the zone where things are not 100% predictable. And that is exactly where TDD in particular becomes really, really difficult. And Which it's awesome if you try to do it. Mock out all the components that are unpredictable. You can, so you can say, I'm not actually going to talk yeah, to this yeah. web service in test because yeah, Well, but then what are you testing? And then you're testing like little components of the thing. Absolutely. And that's awesome. And you try to test the interaction of the thing. And you build an app that nobody wants. <laughs> well, you have to be comfortable. Really, like, there's so many levels at which you can go wrong. I think you have to develop a, comf- a comfort level of like 90% of the time we're going to be 
correct. And yeah. The other ten percent, it's not going to explode, right? Yeah. But it's just debatable whether it's correct or not. Correct. I, it, it entirely depends on the situation. Now, if it explodes, there are that's so bad. many things that yes. you really do have to. So, if you're writing some, say you were implementing linked objects, it it is well, very clear. Language stuff. I mean, that's no, no. But if you're writing the, that's physics. The library, yeah, the library stuff that oh, yeah, relatively. Yeah, sure. But with this uh, low level stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The real question is. In, in the high level stuff, like to what extent can you? Yeah, I, I'm thinking about like the, the type of applications I see are often such gigantic mashups of things. So let's say that um, just today I found a very good sandwich shop near my hotel using Yelp, which I didn't even know they had Yelp in London, but I guess they do. Uh, and I did it all on my uh, cell phone, and it pops up Google Maps, of course, and it must be doing that through uh, an API where it just says, "Get me a map," and put a pin in it. That is available to Cocoa developers on well, whatever you, they call it. You know this because your yeah. very homepage puts a little kiwi on the in the Fog Creek location. That's a gif that we made. Oh, Are you kidding! But it's now it's cute. It it's adorable. not a pin. It's a little cute. yeah. Actually, that may be a Google Map that we just call the the, the right yeah, I think it's, okay. it's live. So there's a way to do. There's a way to get a Google Map on uh, you know programming a, a, a native app on the iPhone, um, and there's probably about 18 lines of code involved. In that. I don't know how many lines of code there are, but there's not a lot. Yeah. You're getting this enormously complicated functionality that's got extreme personality using very, very few lines of code. And so the surface area to test is a lot of complicated functionality that all kind of has to work right, whereas the amount of code that you actually wrote is 18 lines, and you can almost inspect them faster <laughs> than you can test that surface area of this complicated functionality you're providing, which is going to be fine, really. Once you get it working, it's going to be okay. And then where it's going to fail is in ways that you would never even dream of writing a test to test for. So, for example, you'll suddenly discover... It could be discover, really slow. It could be slow, or, or it maybe there's some kind of a weird scrolling behavior. If it takes a minute to load, that's, that's a failure case. scroll past Antarctica, it... Yeah, or it takes a... But at that point, that's not, the, that's not your code that you're testing anyway. The, the scrolling past Antarctica is yeah. the component itself. Um, so you, yes, but it you may be your be problem. About is, uh, it may be your problem. But you're, you should be testing how you interact with that component. But once that works, I'm done. I'll test that. But once that works, I'm done. And then I'm going to have these problems. I'm going to have to work around them. And I'm going to say, this is too slow. Maybe there's some way I can get a low-res map. Or maybe there's some way I can speed it up. Or maybe there's some mm -hmm. way I can uh, cache the maps. Or maybe there's some way I can use a different API. Or maybe there's something else I can do. And you suddenly discover. And so the kinds of things I was I was doing something the other day. Uh, it, 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 here's a little project um, that our listeners can, can take home. Uh, you're, you're on an Apple Macintosh and you have a QuickTime movie of a video and an AIFF audio file. And what you have to do, the QuickTime movie of the video is the intro movie that we're going to play at the beginning of Stack Overflow mm -hmm. Dev Days tomorrow morning. And the AIAF audio is the voice of Dan Wilson saying, now welcome the host of Stack Overflow Dev Days, Joel Spolsky, which has to play at the end of the first video. But not right at the end, you know, like, you know, 15 seconds before the end, so that it's kind of like over, uh -huh. the, over, the, over the captions. The, the, all right? So anyway, all you're doing is playing a movie and then playing an audio file. Uh, easiest way to throw this together is you make some Apple script. It's about 14 lines of Apple script. It play, start playing the movie, and then it's got to maximize the player and all kinds of stuff, because you don't want to see the player Chrome on the screen. Yep. Um, uh, you, you want you want it to you want it to look really good on screen, and then you want it to you want to make sure that when that other audio plays, that it stays in the background. And these are, let me give you an example of the kind of bugs I have I had while developing this little thing. There is a bug that by default QuickTime on Macintosh will only allow the 
frontmost QuickTime window to generate audio. The other ones will be muted. You can turn this off. You would never know this in advance until you try sure. to write this app. And the minute you start writing this app, you say, why isn't the audio playing from that background sound? And then you would examine the manuals and you go on the internet and you discover that this is an option to QuickTime and then you have to figure out what is the Apple event that I sent to QuickTime to tell it to change its parameter so that the background apps can make music too. Yeah. Now this is something, because you would not know this in advance, yeah, you would not have, would be, could not possibly have written a test for this in advance. That sounds like the worst application in the world to <laughs> test write. Yes, yes, <laughs> and this there is are... what all my apps are like. This is what, everything I'm doing. I don't know why, but that's what it's like to work at the very, very top level of the abstraction tree, is that I'm just, all I'm doing is I want to play some music mm. and I want to play some, I'm not writing any kind of operating systems or compilers or any of your hypothetical accounting code or anything like that. I'm, I'm, I just want to play music and then I want to play an audio behind it and I don't want to see any chrome on the screen and I want the movie to start exactly at the beginning. Yeah. And you can't even predict, no matter how hard you read the QuickTime Apple Events documentation, you will not be able to tell me uh, what it, whether or not the movie will start playing when you open it. <laughs> all right? Because there's, there's all kinds of commands. There's like play and stop and rewind. And it turns out that it does start playing but the screen isn't ready yet. So what you have to do is start playing it, and then you have to stop right away, and then you have to rewind. Ooh. And now you're ready to play it. Because you want to be able to play from the beginning. You don't want it, like when a user clicks on a file, there's always like windows dancing around and they miss the first second. Wait, Joel, you should have done this in C. I mean, that would have solved the problem. No, yeah. it wouldn't possibly. What am I supposed to write an MPEG decoder you myself? You ran thousands of lines of code, yeah. so but you would get it exactly writing, the way you want. If I was writing that, it's, to the it's really, what's that thing called, H364? What's the protocol? H264. 264. If, there, if I was actually writing an H264 protocol, oh my God, would you want to use TDD for that? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Because you've got millions of kinds of, I don't even know what they are. Well, it's a spec, too, and you can yeah. test against yeah. the Well, yeah. And you want to make sure that all those millions of files that are generated, if you ever make one bug, you, you and you want rock-solid code that's 100% tested, so that if, some, if you want to change some code to make it faster, you know that you haven't broken some weird, obscure thing that some people will put in that file format somewhere. But even then, there are probably things I don't know much about H.264, but yeah. one of the things that surprised me when I first started learning about MP3s was there's no such thing as the correct decoding of it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, absolutely. You know, well, it sounds about right, and you can yeah. have different You decode as well as you possibly can, given, given the CPU cycles that are available to you, but and even, then you even try to degrade gracefully. I don't think there's... Even given there's no, there's no all the data beforehand, yeah, um, there will be things. I believe I, I could be completely wrong about this. I, you, I no, haven't studied in right. a lot of detail, but um, the MP3, it's not like it's just zip, where you've got input data, you've got your zip file, and if you decode it, you should get the same input data. You'll get something similar, right? Um, right. And depending on the encoder, you'll get a different MP3 file. And then, depending on the decoder, you would get different output data. Output sound waves or whatever. So, right, right. if you listen on an iPod, you might well, you won't hear any differences, but you would theoretically you potentially get tiny, tiny differences. Right. In like the actual waveform. Right, right. yeah. yeah. And the actual bugs you might introduce might be very obscure. So, for example, one bug that you might introduce, which is the kind of thing that you hope your the TDD or, your, or whatever unit test you have would prevent you from introducing these kind of bugs. But the kind of bug you might introduce is. Uh, instead of being able to do 30 frames per second, we can only produce 26. And uh, you know, unless you're testing for that particular thing, you may not even notice it because you're just testing it on a reasonably fast computer that can oh, yeah. produce 30. Yeah. And then by the time it gets out on the, whatever device people have in their pockets, it, it you know it's a little bit slower, but not you know. And anything you've got to do to do with time becomes harder sure. because 
you, know, you don't want your tests to have to wait for a certain time or pretend to be really slow because if right, the tests right, are right. slow, then it impedes everything. Can we talk yeah. about the, the wall of phones you guys had out there for testing? Yeah. That might be relevant <laughs> to the current discussion. There was like a yeah. wall of hundreds of mobile phones that I'm presuming you yeah. guys have. Oh, we have. Them. I mean, we have uh, literally hundreds. Loads of, I want to be clear about that. It was yeah, amazing. Yeah, it, it was, was like, Yeah, um, yeah. We we have a lot of phones because they all behave in slightly different ways. So when someone does a manual test cycle for and they're all running J2ME, aren't they? <laughs> no, <laughs> right, we, we, have, we have everything. Yeah, you know, I know you have more, but I mean, so, probably there's a substantial number of them that are presumably running the same alleged spec. But uh, that spec probably, doesn't specify yeah. anything about how many buttons they have for menus. Oh yeah, how big yeah. the screen is. And it's been a long time since I've written J to me. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, this is one of the concerns on the Android side is that that yeah. Android is cool, absolutely. But there's so point. many different bits of hardware. It's like you're going to be back in the bad old world. You know, every time we had an Android, it's almost presenter. like well, let me let me. I think what they should do is say this is Android Ref One. Like you have to have all these things. Period. Yeah. And you can have several levels. Like in, like in like the H two six four, they do profiles like a mobile profile. Mm-hmm. And they do in J two M E. There's the mid P profile and the CLBC. Yeah. But I think they got they got a lot to an iPhone. That's just a slippery slope. That's for the, the the direction of Windows CE. You think it's wrong? Going. Yeah. Because well, what do you think they should do? Cut the Gordian knot and say there's only one model ever? Well, here's the problem. The problem is that uh, iPhone is so much easier. Well, okay, here's the real problem. You're a software developer. You are going to write a mobile app to do something. Either because, let's say that you're, you're Google and you want to, you've got a, a, a property like Google Calendars and you want people to be able to access them for their mobile application. That's an, that's an example of a developer. Another example of a developer is you make some kind of really useful product or service and you want it accessible. So, for example, Amazon Kindle and you want to make a, a mobile version of the Amazon Kindle app. Or uh, you've got the Sonos, which plays music in different rooms in your house and you want to make a remote control for it uh, as a mobile app. Or you just want to make an app because it's fun. You want to make a little game and you want to yeah. sell it and make as much money as you can. So all these are app developers. And every single app developer is going to do the following equation in their head. I have X resources. I have this amount of time and this amount of developers. So the most logical thing to do if, if you had you know, absolute time to make the right decision would be let's make a list of every single phone that's out there and who has it. And then group them where I can write the same piece of code and have it run on multiple phones. And then we'll take that list, group by, this is a, somebody told me the SQL statement, select, blah, blah, group by sum of how many people use it, sort by how many people use, use it for a particular binary image that I have to deliver. And then I'm going to work on the first one, whoever is at the top of that list. Right now it's iPhone. And then when I'm done with that, then if I'm making money from that, maybe I'll hire another programmer, I'll look at what the second one is. I don't know what that'll be. It's, right now it's usually BlackBerry. Uh, and then I'll look at the third one, and blah, 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 blah. Now, because of that weird group by clause, which I didn't go into in detail, uh, you, as soon as a, a vendor of mobile devices, like Android in this case, they're not really a vendor of mobile devices, but I mean, they make the operating system, or J2ME in its day, or Windows, Windows Mobile in its day, or Windows CE in the day before that, as soon as they say, well, let's let a thousand flowers bloom, let's let the hardware manufacturers make any kind of hardware they want, we'll just try to run on it. As soon as you say that, you're basically taking whatever pathetic audience you already had compared to the iPhone and splitting it even further and knocking yourself even further down on that list of rankings of when somebody is going to make the effort to develop for your software. So it's bad enough that there's, uh, that there's Android um, and it's already, it already has substantially less market share, but it's also there's also multiple different versions of Android. There's Droid and there's the older ones and there's different pieces of hardware that can run on. Uh, and they, they don't really seem to be completely converging yet. 
So um, that's the that's the risk, and that's why iPhone is beating the hell out of everybody right now because they all, at the very least, they have they have two CPU speeds you can mostly ignore. They either have a camera or they don't. They either have video or they don't, and they either have GPS or they don't. But that's the kind of thing that you can either gracefully degrade or just abandon if you if you if you depend on that feature. But five years they from now, you all have the have... same size screen. But don't they've been think... pretty disciplined about keeping the same size screen the same. Well, yeah, I agree because yeah. they can do it because it's the one company. Yeah, yeah. So what I think, and actually, I think right now Google's play with Android. It seems to me, and I, I won't ask you to comment. Yeah. You work for Google, <laughs> Johnsky. Full disclosure: yes. works for Google, and he's not going to say anything about any of this. But I think that Google's play uh, with Android uh, is to try to be the best everything else to try to get everybody else to just abandon all the scrappy little I don't know Symbian and mm-hmm. and uh, and Windows Mobile they just are not going anywhere and they're not catching up and uh, when did they tell us there would be a touch version of Internet Explorer with you know yeah. I don't think that's out yet um, I mean, how long have they had mobile safari to work with I, I would like to see Android do well because yeah. mean, as much as I, I well, really well they're going to try to be the everybody else strategy that's going to be their strategy is like if we can at least get everybody if we can be the core opposition to iPhone and roll up everybody else, be the number two, and then everybody below us disappears, then at least we'll be in a strategic position to start going head-on-head with, with iPhone. Yeah, the thing, the thing that makes me uncomfortable about it is, it feel, and, and I've heard this on Twitter, and, and I agree with it, is that it's almost like they copied the, the, the parts of Microsoft's mobile business model that, that, that were, were not well. working. Yes, yeah. the parts that work least well, which is like, oh, let, you know, let's have lots of different hardware vendors. Right. You know, and I think Apple has proven that for certainly for the phone market, I think it's a, it's a no-brainer that you just want to, you want a totally closed ecosystem. Which really well, is you only one, one kind of consumer, or you know, a, a limited set. That's true. There are interesting varieties of consumers. Yeah, but, but you I know what's kind of amazing. That's what, true. Is yeah. how much those consumers will beat themselves up to use an iPhone anyway. No matter how much it doesn't suit their specific needs, the yeah. hotel that we checked into—I don't know if you noticed this—but they're like they got a they got a Macintosh in every room, they got yeah. an iMac in every room. I saw that. They're all very chic design yes. and Macs all over the place. Yeah. When you check in, you see a big Apple Mac that they're using to check you in. It's running Windows. It's just a display. It's oh, running I, Windows. I, I forgot about it's that. It's got a Windows I keyboard. Oh, I didn't see that. Because they have to run some kind of XP yeah. hotel software. software. They have no choice, really. and they need a keyboard that has a uh, swiper for credit cards. So they got the wrong keyboard and the wrong software. And it's, I don't know if it's running Fusion or, or if it's just plugged in. I worry that if, if, if Apple gets too far ahead, although I, I totally admire the iPhone, I think they've done so many things right. If they get far enough ahead, and this is dangerously close to happening already, the only way you're going to be able to beat them is with an emulator at this point. It's really getting to that point, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That you're going to have to come in with an emulator that emulates, and God knows how legal this would all be, right? I mean, who knows mm-hmm. if it's even possible. But that's the only way, because then you can say, oh, look, we're also compatible. Like we virtual, like what you're apps. describing. Yeah. That was a map running port. Windows. Yeah, basically. This would port. be a phone that, look, we can also run iPhone How long has the iPhone been out? <sighs> Two? Three years? Three years? Yeah, I think we're, we're in early days. Yeah. It's still early days, but so, man. There's, there's just so much that can happen. Yes. And whether it's Android or not, yeah, I don't know. I know very little about the Android side of things, which is you know, one reason I can't really comment on any of the <laughs> API stuff apart from you know, wanting right. to avoid putting myself into sticky positions. Um, <laughs> yeah, I suspect that there are various... Uh, things that Android devices do have to have some commonality, yeah. um, so that you can write portable things. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's the nature of portability that the more portable you are, the less you get to have the exact best of whatever device you're on. Yeah. Uh, the vendors too are so problematic. They love nothing more, and this is the same problem in the Windows model, right? They love nothing more than like Lenovo. Well, let's take Lenovo off the table. Let's take Dell. 
for a long time, Dell would load all these with their craplets. It's like you get a PC and it would come with like, are, mm, not just you, Windows, you but like mentioned... their little special add-ons. No, you have to totally mention two worse. of the better companies, but yeah, it's like Sony. Even those are not put, great, though. But there are these companies that just want to put their own friggin' operating system on. Yes, Verizon. And, it's, Verizon. Oh, and the carriers they are They want to have worst. a Verizon operating system no matter what yes, phone you're using. And it's going to link to all their stupid Verizon things that nobody wants. It's going to like totally put the Verizon logo front and center. Yep. And it's going to try to sell you crappy movies. It's almost like Apple was the only company that could like resist and say, you know what? Heck with all you guys. You're not going right. to do any of that crap you normally pull and like lay yeah. down the law. Now, what's interesting is why because does this they... work for Windows? Windows had a very specific minimum spec. I mean, Windows was always said it has to be VGA, although they're very, I'm not talking Windows 1.0. But just by establishing VGA as a minimum, they established a keyboard minimum. They established certain hardware minimums to get a Windows certified logo. And those were good enough, and that's what software developers targeted, that minimum. Well, I think it's success. I think what happened is there's so many vendors, like, well, how do you differentiate? Well, yeah. i got to do something special. i got to do something awesome, add some stupid app that's going to actually harm the user experience. Yeah. But our execs are going to see it and go, wow, this makes us look awesome. And how do you yeah. do this if you're a graphic But the PC company? vendors never did, never did that. I mean, they, they kind of tried, but they never really did. The PC vendors never really did manage it. Like, especially companies like Dell, which spend about a quarter of what, what Apple spends on R&D. I don't know if that figure is right, but they spend very, very little on research and development compared to other companies because they're just happy to be a friggin' PC vendor. They don't want right. to... Uh, it's probably not a good thing, but, uh, but um, the, the, the net result is that um, they're not trying to make a better box. They're just trying to make a box. But there are all things that you can differentiate. So... I have here my netbook. Which is cool, by the way. Which model? Which is HP. lovely. Samsung NC10. Oh, Samsung, nice. Which now has an SSD in. Excellent. Um, oh, that's right. You were on Windows Twitter 7. setting yeah. this up. Yes, I remember. Yep. The trivials. And I previously had an E. And the, yep. the one differentiator for this is behind the battery, which I won't take off because it's in standby, is a SIM card slot. So it's got a built-in Oh, it's a phone, too. It's got a built-in 3G modem. Oh, nice. <laughs> Um, so I'm on the train. I just open this up and say, "Go online, please." Don't have to worry about you know. It, it sounds trivial having a USB dongle. You plug it in, you wait for it to go online, and you're done. Yeah, sure. But this is just built in, and That's I've nice. paid, I think, an extra hundred pounds, hundred and sixty dollars, whatever, um, to get a three G built in dongle. And so actually, they are incredibly cheap. Yeah, yeah. outside, but but, the, but that is that is almost certainly an Intel standard. That the, where you put the 3G and the stand, uh, dongle inside, yeah. and what format it takes. But uh, as far as I know, kind of stuff. that one's got it, and it's not. And the Dell Mini Nine has got it. Uh, there's and a lot of laptops uh, that have it. Built-in. Yeah, sure. 3G. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty common. I'm like, I haven't, I haven't seen it. I mean, I haven't well, been in, in the market for a laptop though. for a while, yeah. but in netbook form, which is where yeah. it's most useful. Because yeah. yeah. but it may, it may very well. For all I know, it's it's actually using the the same specification. There's actually like a type of mini PCI card. It's designed. It's got. Um, there are a lot of laptops. Somebody can correct me here if I'm butchering this, but there are a lot of laptops that have a, that already come with uh, an antenna built into the screen display. So whether or not you put in this card, that gives mm -hmm. you 3G access. Well, you'll have an antenna of some description for the wireless. I don't know whether you yeah. can use the same antenna. Well, they're different lengths. So, uh, 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 and it also depends on whether it's CDMA versus GSM. Different. Right. Also use different John, length How long antennas. have you had this laptop? Um, since. My bonus, so end of March, <laughs> start of April. Okay, well, it's just, there's just some wear marks on it already. So. Uh, I use it a fair amount. Yes, you use it a fair amount. Yeah. I think it's safe to say. Probably yes. more, than me, well, more than my main. So we got off the reason. Well, well that was a, it was a tangent, but it's an important one because yeah. I think one thing I'm learning from Dev Days, not that it was a surprise, and we also knew this from Stack Overflow, was that, that 
iPhone questions were huge on Stack Overflow. Yeah. We've had you know Apple developers tell us your forums are actually better than the Apple forums for this. Yeah. And it's just a reflection of what, what developers are into. And the mobile space is really hot right now. Developers enjoy working in that space. You yeah. heard Rory talk about how fun it is to sort of go back to constraints and kind of go back to basics. And there's so much energy in, in, in mobile development. But I do worry a little that I think Apple, I don't think people understand how dominant Apple is going to be. I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. I think it is a little bit scary. It's a little bit scary. They're getting, they're getting the kind of dominance that in, in mobile apps that Microsoft had yes. in desktop apps. But, yes, I totally agree, but I think that, and this will be controversial. But they're a more evil company. Yes, in some ways they yes. are a more evil company than Microsoft. I'm going to go on record with that. I, I will too. And I'll, uh, I'm so not going on record <laughs> in any way, <laughs> yes. shape, or form about that. So. Yes. So it scares me a little. I like. I want the iPhone to succeed. They deserve their success. There were always a lot job. of people at Microsoft that thought that there should be a Chinese wall between systems and applications. That the Excel team shouldn't get special APIs. The Lotus team didn't have. There was a perception that they that they had all these access to special APIs, but nobody ever really found one that was non-trivial. Uh, and um, uh, uh, and 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 there there are always, for what it's worth, there are always large groups of people at Microsoft. You know, today I can just, I, you want me to name names? Scott Hanselman. <laughs> you know, there are people that just want to do the right, and Scott yeah. Goo, yeah. that just yeah. like, we want to do the right thing, we want to be inclusive. Right. If I'm making, if I'm Scott Goo and I'm making software, ASP.NET NBC is open source, it's, uh, and right. we can use it. Um, it, it, it is, I, I think it's, it, I, 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 now this is new, new, so I may be getting this wrong, but I think that the Mono team was able to just take ASP.NET NBC. Oh, the relationships with the Mono team is totally different. I mean, over right. the last four years, yeah. it's very cool in yeah. the beginning. And so there's always about. groups of people at Microsoft, even if it's not everybody, and even if it's not Steve Ballmer, and even if it doesn't go all the way to the top, there are always groups of people at Microsoft that want to do the right thing by the community and think that that will ultimately serve Microsoft. But you know why that works? As opposed to the greedy thing for Microsoft right now. But why that works is because Microsoft is a very developer-focused company and always has been. And yeah. I do not believe Apple is really a developer nope, company at all. And I think what's really... I they didn't send a single person to speak at Dev Days. Well, what's most shameful is that they haven't fixed their... You did ask. I did ask, sure. <laughs> they haven't fixed their, their approval process. Like, have you read yeah. all the descriptions of the approval? It's, it's like it you're is. in East Germany. Right. I mean, it there was is literally never like, an approval you, process for Windows. Well, but for when the, you're writing Windows apps for just for basic stuff of like like just getting basic feedback, like why didn't it go in? How didn't it right. go in? What did we do wrong? How can we fix this? There's yeah, no yeah. consistency. It's like right, right. you're dealing with literally like the Soviet bloc, yeah. the bad old days of the it's Cold the War. The Kafka short story. Yes, the okay. Gestapo comes and takes you in. You don't know why, and who knows what's going to happen to your yeah. app. I mean, if it's, they can't fix called, that, it's a trial. That's an if they can't fix that, story. which is just procedural stuff that has nothing to do with programming. That's just like a kinder, gentler way of, of treating your, your audience. If they can't fix that and they've had a year, then that really disturbs me. That makes me question whether they can even do this at all. Yeah. Once more, I'm certainly not going to go there. Uh, but I would point out that you know, it's really easy to get an Android app. So That's true. And this is, a, this is, is another true. reason. That I is a strength of Android. Android. And in fact, I think that is the Google strategy, which is like, let's just be the on Apple. We'll be the, if, if we can get all those people that there's some reason they can't develop for iPhone, whether it's because they're pornographers, <laughs> great, <laughs> or because they need a custom piece of hardware that that just cannot possibly work with an yeah. iPhone device, or because they need access to something uh, on the device that that Apple is just never going to give them access to. Like, can I? I don't think a, uh, an iPhone app can make a phone call. Did that you read Jamie Zawinski's whole thing yeah, with the right. pre? He like yeah. gave up on the pre yeah. because their approval process was. He just had free apps. He just yeah. wanted. I mean, this would not be a problem on Android, yeah. obviously. Yeah. He's like, oh, hey, I have free apps. Can I just put them up? They're like. 
again, you're back in this the East yeah. Block. You know, why right, won't my right. stuff go in? Nobody can explain it. Nobody knows right. why. Nobody knows how. There's no policy. It's crazy. Yeah. Why would you treat your developers this way? That's the thing. Microsoft would never treat their developers that way. No, not in a million years. They're way smarter than that. They've and that is, and Android good, is following that policy. Yes, saying they've done a good job um, with developers. So that part that they've copied yeah. is good. Right. And that part is solid. Um, so yeah, that's probably enough about mobile. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> let's move on to wireless. <laughs> wireless. <laughs> so, how about that Wi-Fi? Yes. You know, we had Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi worked in Washington D.C., and I'm trying to figure out what it is that it takes to make Wi-Fi work in a room full of developers on laptops, twittering constantly, and probably bit torrenting as well. And I, I, so I said, "Whoa, this is the first time the Wi-Fi has worked." And I started asking the people at the venue, and they couldn't even. The, the lady didn't even know, and she finally broke down and said, "You know, the owner." of the venue this is a rock and roll club in suburban North Virginia outside of Washington D.C. it's a place that normally hosts rock and roll concerts but apparently had some kind of a bloggers conference a couple of days ago I don't know what it was anyway the owner of the place was up until late at night taping access points to the walls using duct tape <laughs> and I don't know what he knows that I don't know but uh, if you're going to just put a whole bunch of access points around the walls you have to make sure that they're all broadcasting using the same SSID uh you, you have to have they have to be thin access points they have to be low power they have to there has to be some organizing metaphor that causes them to operate on different channels so that they don't overwrite each other they have to be trying to figure out who's going to deal with what clients and on what channels and uh, I, I, don't, I don't even know what hardware does probably that probably happen to get the right hardware I just you might have just, just happened to work you, know, you, yeah. you just take them all up yeah, um, and you know what? And he probably thought that those antennas were ugly, so he broke them off, <laughs> causing them all to operate at low power, <laughs> thus causing there to be a lot of small little Wi-Fi spots. So, so how many developers many, are we talking? Sorry. Yeah, uh, that's exactly this. How many in Washington? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, okay, so somewhere there was a rumor that only 80 people were online at once, which I don't believe, but there were 500 people in the room, and oh, we wow. probably... Probably half of them, uh, you know, were using at least a laptop. Or well, we'll see what so happens. It's obviously going to be harder tomorrow. Yes, yeah, tomorrow. London is, is, London really is supposed to be nine hundred people. Have you been to the venue yet? Uh, I've never been there. Have you? No. Okay. Uh, well, there's Carsonify people all up the wazoo there, and they've done conferences there. And today, I'd like to go on record as saying that Ryan Carson personally assured me that we will have the world's best <laughs> Wi-Fi ever, 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 ever. It's going to be unbelievable. That's You're going to get more bandwidth than should be. Humanly physically possible. Nice. Possible. Nice. Are we taping any of the tour? Um, I will tape uh, all the audio using this device we are taping with here. I'll plug it into the main thing on the jiggy. I don't know if anybody will be taping video. I have a little. I, I will bring along. I was amazed by this. So for ninety-five pounds. Yeah. Uh, What's that? One hundred and fifty dollars, whatever. Yeah, that's okay. You're in your native territory. You do not have to translate. Yeah, but most podcast listeners. <laughs> All right. Um, I got an HD. It's um, about one hundred and forty ounces. Ounces. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, an HD video. Like HD. a flip? Is it a, the flip or the? Uh, um, it's flip me now. Vivo something. Is it the Creative Vado? No. No. No, it's it's tiny company I'd never heard of before. Really? Okay. Um, and it's okay. I mean, supposedly full HD, 1080p. Um, and yeah, the audio is going to be it's going to be absolutely rubbish. Yeah, speaking rubbish. Nice. The audio is going to be rubbish. Put it in the put it in the bin. It's only a noun in American. You can't use rubbish as a verb in American. Uh, you'll, you'll get you'll get uh, if you if you set that fixed on a tripod, tripod mm-hmm. you'll get very good video, and then um, you can merge it with the audio from this. Yes. When you go up and start your speech, clap once. That'll allow you to time sync the audio and the video. That and, will be the uh, solitary clap for my talk, you realize. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 you'll probably get the rest will be booing. 
Um, uh, also, and, and, and wait, let's share the we, title of your talk, John, just to get people uh, is your, excited. Is your talk, would it be so, okay if we use the audio of your talk if we put it up on our Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, people have said, oh, you're taking it, and I yeah. would really like it to be taped. And in fact, I okay. gave a, a rehearsal here for Googlers. Um, That's right. And we tried to tape it, but unfortunately, due to the way that the uh, room was laid out, we've mostly got the back of my left shoulder uh, <laughs> as a video. Um, okay. So we haven't even got Tony the Pony. Where's my little sock puppet? Oh. I haven't worked out how to get waffles in there yet, though. Oh, so I have a pony. As so I was requested on you Meta. have work to do tonight. Then yeah. <laughs> waffles. But wait, wait, wait! No, this is Meta stuff. You, Joel doesn't know Meta. Joel doesn't hang out on Meta like we do. That's like my job. I'm like number one on Meta, although that, yes, every that time pony I go is there, always I feel so dirty. Time. I know. <laughs> well, to be fair, this is not. I mean, Joel yeah. helps, but it's not his full time job working on Stackable like it is yeah. mine. So this is totally normal. Meta. Yes. And he's been helping tremendously on careers because Joel yeah. is sort of the PM for that. Uh, but I do want to get the title of your talk. Get yeah, the uh, Humanity Epic Fail. Humanity Epic Fail. Cool. Basically how the world, how mankind has screwed up computing for everyone. Nice. Um, so, that's a nice modest talk. Just a uh, well, brief it's, it's all Joel's fault. So you know, I was thinking, okay, I could talk about c Sharp, And then yeah. Joel on the podcast said, John's going to be talking about something fun and esoteric. I thought, okay, well, I like c Sharp, but it's not exactly esoteric. Yes. And it's not sort of laugh a minute stuff. So I'll try to come up with something different. And I suspect it was when I was swearing at time zones again. I thought, why has the world made it so hard? Why can't everybody just be on John Skeet time like Stack Overflow? Why? I mean, this makes life so much easier. I can <laughs> tell you from experience. Is there anything worse than like Saudi Arabia, which doesn't have time zones for religious reasons? Or There's, like, What's the worst thing that happens in time zones? Um, Greenland moved into Argentina last week. Ah, wow. In a unit test. So I'm... Hey, by the time this goes out, it'll be after the talk anyway. So I had a unit test that checked, given what we get from certain devices describing their time zone, this should be Greenland, Gotham. And suddenly the unit test started failing, saying, nope, this is America, Argentina, Buenos Aires. What? What's going on? And we found out that someone had changed the, legitimately changed the time zone data that everyone builds against. Because Greenland just went independent from Denmark. Because Argentina has decided not to use daylight saving time anymore because their dams are mostly full. So they announced this what? on October the seventh. Dams 7th. are mostly full, so they have yeah. plenty of electricity. They've got plenty of electricity. They don't need daylight savings anymore. So oh. they were going to start daylight saving on October the eighteenth, and they announced this on October the seventh. They you? gave eleven days notice. English just have a gripe against Argentina because they had a whole no. fucking violence thing. Okay. Different example then. <laughs> Nepal. Nepal is considering yeah. daylight saving time of an hour and a quarter. Oh, nice. That's not going to mess I, up I, any sort. Well, to I, be honest, I, I, I do know that daylight saving time. I, I don't know. In Israel, was always a controversy. Yeah, it was all political. The rabbis uh, didn't want people going to the movies while it was still the Sabbath, and the Sabbath ends when the sun goes down. And the movies, for some reason, are always at seven p.m. and nine p.m. no matter what. And so it was very important that the sun go down by 7 right. p.m. or 9 p.m. or something like that. 9 p.m. at least in that. We so that there certainly had some issues with the Jerusalem time zone trying to get it into a... a yeah. Well, they just changed it. The it becomes a debate in the Knesset almost every single year. I think they they've now fixed it for the next whatever, but it yeah. used to be. And I think But even are, America changed it at the time last year, which was but, one of the most This is like that years. biological process stuff you're talking about. Yeah. Right? Think about all the reasons. That, that dam, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. crazy. Because they have enough electricity <laughs> yeah. from their dams, they're changing yeah. the nature and of some time. Poor engineer yes. here they have London. redefined the meaning of time based yeah. on that. That's like, crazy. Well, does it matter? Daylight savings time is all a friggin' myth. And yeah. you know what? The, 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 the biggest advocates in the U.S. of daylight savings time 
everybody always claimed that it saved electricity, but it was never proven. And now they've done the study, and it doesn't. And it doesn't. And it doesn't matter, because the people who want it in the summer are the retailers, and the retailers want it because people are more likely to go to the shopping mall after dinner if it's still light out. Right. Sometimes people finish eating dinner and it's still light out, and they say, gosh, I finished eating dinner, it's still light out, let's Whereas go Whereas they'll out. never go before breakfast. They'll never go if it's already dark. Certainly before breakfast, correct. Yeah, which and is when it would be lighter without. The whole, who was advocating to have it extended recently when they re-extended daylight savings time? Candy manufacturers. How can that possibly be? For Halloween. For Halloween, exactly, because trick-or-treating, people <laughs> will do more trick-or-treating if it gets dark later. Well, I gather someone was telling me just, just the other day there was a study in the 60s or something in the UK about whether daylight saving time actually saved kids' lives because there's a whole uh, crossing the street in the dark. In the morning. Kind of thing as well. Yeah. yeah. And they found that, strangely enough, they didn't save many lives because instead of being dark in the morning, it's dark in the evening. So yeah. you've still got people crossing the road when it's dark. Lo and behold. I always you enjoy, every time there's a debate about this, there's always a fun letter to the editor in some newspaper somewhere you can all make fun of saying, why do we have daylight savings time in the summer? Why do we get an extra hour of daylight in the summer when, when it's, it's the winter when oh. we need the extra hour of daylight? You know, one thing that I am bitter about is that browsers do not serve the local time offset to the server, like in the headers. Right. I think they should. because The if server they, needs to know what time. The server kind of, right? I mean, because people say sometimes, like, okay, it's annoying that you're on, you know, GMT, which, you know, that's just, yeah. we did that to keep our lives simple, frankly, yeah. because we saw all that train wreck of UTC coming, like, no, 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 yeah, we're not even going to deal with that. Everything's on UTC, like it or not, bam, you're done. Um, but And I empathize, because it would be easier if, like, okay, it mapped to my day, and then I could sort of put my, my head around that. But because the browser doesn't send that information to the client, the only way to do it is, like, crazy JavaScript stuff. Yeah, I mean, JavaScript. So yeah, a, you basically have to do something in JavaScript and then send that to the server, which is and ridiculous. That, doesn't that only get you, like... Do you know how many stupid yeah, headers? It gets you the yeah. it doesn't Dumb get headers content. that are right. useless the right. browser is sending to us yeah. when it can actually send us something useful, like, yeah. oh, hey, here's the time zone this user happens yeah. to be in. Ugh, it and they never add that stuff for some reason. Yeah. Useful things never get... The amount of useless headers in, in most... Speaking of time zones, you know what I always wanted to have, which I thought would be fun? You know how sometimes newsrooms and, and stock trading desks will have a bunch of clocks up on the wall mm -hmm. for different cities? Yeah. So I wanted to have two clocks up at Fog Creek, one that said New York and one that said Ulaanbaatar, which is a city in Mon Mongolia that has the <laughs> same time as New York because it's 12 hours different. <laughs> it's not really the same time because it's AM versus PM instead of PM versus AM, and I thought that would be amusing. Yep. I go into that in the talk as well. The no. whole ambiguity okay. around time. It's so fabulous. those of you who are listening uh, to this podcast, I think what we'll do is we'll put your talk on the next podcast. That'll be the next Stack Overflow podcast when we're asleep in bed. Hey, I, I, I do want to cover one Stack Overflow question mm. because somebody brought up a good one. So maybe here, I'll put uh, John's netbook up here. I'll let him drive. Okay. Um, but it's about a battleship. I saw you the tweets about that. So Where you say like e Well, I just thought it... Well, this is a good example because sometimes people complain, you know, and I think the example you used was... Uh, or some Jewish holiday or something where like occasionally you have fun occasionally yeah. you come together and you have fun <laughs> yeah I don't remember what it was but I apologize I'm butchering I said this. this is on the podcast yes yeah um, and we do allow that on Stack Overflow if it's if, there's a couple rules one it has to be legitimately programmed oh I think related. I just said that it's just a, it's a, it's a right of uh, a right of uh, I'm sorry I was right of intensification which is a term from anthropology you have certain times where the, the normal rules don't apply you break the rules you have fun 
and it's sort of a necessary part of, yes. of every society. Having fun is a yeah. part of the system. That's right. what I want to emphasize to people. But right. not right. too much fun. We do draw a line. Because if well, the whole doing, point is that it has to be occasional. It can't yes. be every day. It can't yes, yes, be... Yes. Uh, well, it's the whole I mean, Friday afternoon on Meta. Yeah, occasionally we allow this. But there, the, the rules I would put around it, just and this isn't formal, this isn't written down, I might blog about this eventually, um, has to be programming related. You have to convince other programmers on Stack Overflow that this is, yes, this is good, this is something that belongs here, which mm-hmm. it can be difficult. It's uh, getting increasingly difficult. Uh, yeah. But this one clearly clearly did, because somebody uh, put this on Twitter, and uh, it's 1631414, and it's what is the best battleship AI? When I got, of course, then I talked about this, and now we have the Heisenberg effect, where now that I've talked about it, I've affected it, and it's changed. Sure, and once it gets on this podcast. Yeah, exactly. So even more so. But I think that's okay, because it's a, it's so fundamentally it's, sound. It's already on 61 upvotes. So. Yes, it was at 9 when I looked at it, which was, I mean, that's great. I mean, very few things get to 9. That's yes. actually a very good question. Well, well it just started. Very, it sounds like a very interesting computer science question. It does. It does. It's like, okay, let's write some AI. And it's been written in detail. You know, yes. it's got the rules he did a good and job. the rules he of put competition the rules. and scoring and things. Right. Yes, it's, it's not specific. just see better, if you can come up yeah. with the best one of these. Yes, yeah. like what's the best right. X? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, let's have a contest. Oh, Here's the rules. He made a contest to write the coolest code and he's going to, yeah. Yeah. And nobody's winning right now, actually. Well, it just started. I mean, like he just put it up. So, so it's I'm basically assuming, formulate your own battleship AI, and he's going to pit them against each other, and then the winner wins. Let yeah. me tell you, Jonsky, if I had a laptop that had the page up and the page down buttons, where this one has the page up and the page down buttons, I would throw it out the window. You would get used to it <laughs> incredibly quickly, as I have. Well, yeah, I have but back and forward there. That's where back and forward are for your browser on uh, uh, ThinkPads. Yeah, it's uh, on my web. It's also equally, equally well. annoying when and you're the number just of trying to try to go back when I want to page up. Yeah, because you know it's what, what I'm used to. Well, that's another example of the, the diversity in the ecosystem because there are many, many different keyboard layouts on netbooks. Yeah. Netbooks, yeah. Are, I mean, you, you weren't really referring to a netbook, so it's really not comparing not the same thing. Yeah. There's always compromises with the keyboard on a netbook because it's just it's small. Look at where this is all different in English versus U.S. where the enter is. In U.S., the enter would be here. Uh, usually on a U.K. keyboard, uh, the enter does stick out to the bottom left as well. Yeah. So the fact that we've got a, a tiny little hash key. Yeah, but we have a, ours is a dash. It doesn't is, go. Is there a special key to spell things with the U, like color? <laughs> Sorry, I have to. I have to make that. No, joke you just at least see that the, the, U gets, <laughs> the U gets much more wear and tear on a, on a UK keyboard. Uh, yeah. Okay, but I did want to highlight that one because I think it illustrates a. It's cool. B. It illustrates that okay, it is okay to have fun sometimes. Yeah. Um, it's not like you know everybody's frowning and everything has to be on topic. Um, so it, there's a, there, there's a range there, but it is yeah. accepted. I'm now just going to have to try to resist. All right, so we had to think we spent loads and loads of money into that. Should I try to find a listener question by just surfing to the uh, the, the inbox now, right now? And, or should we just okay. Do you want to edit? Do you want to make an edit point? Because it's going to... Nah. No? No. Nah. Oh, well, we're going to edit. I, can't, right? I have no time. I'm on the road. I, oh. I'm, what I'm going to do is this podcast I'm going to send to uh, those special sound editors to make it sound uh, better because we're recording this with a crappy piece of shite. Uh, as opposed to <laughs> well if there's a, a reasonably timely way for you to get the listener question I would like to do one alright well, let's try it you know what let's, let's take an email one just just go to uh, oh yeah, I'll have to log on this will be where you finally get those emails that have disappeared yeah. okay uh, com. you guys vamp what vamp you know what vamping is what Vamping is like a musician on the stage, and they just sort of play a little do 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 while the other people get their act together. And they're just kind of doing some little you piece of music. You should have brought plastic guitars. I should have. <laughs> Been awesome. Well, I will mention that I, I, I continually am amused. All right. If you are the sound editor of this podcast, please delete this part. What?
This is this is good stuff. Uh, on Meta, one of my favorite things that happened on Meta was that John John posted his schedule. People were like, "Man, John's key to answer so many questions. How does he do it?" And John's like, "Well, okay, here's my schedule." And he just had a list of his schedule, and like it got like ten upvotes immediately. It's got about forty now. I know it's, it's crazy. great. I very nearly I was going to have um, Holly write out our shopping list for the week and have that as my first slide of my talk and see whether I could get applause just for a shopping list. Nice. But I decided not to in the end. Uh, is it they okay all are making a VPN connection? Slides. Yeah. Well, people do, not, do like to know what programmers eat. What's the best programmer food? I mean, oh. I think we've finally gotten rid of those. There, There is that introductory period. There's just like the Wild West where people just are trying yeah. to push the boundaries of the system. We saw it on Stack Overflow. We saw it on, uh, to lesser extent, on uh, uh, server fault. Definitely on super user. It, went, went, it was much worse, actually. I think it's more likely to stick around for super user because in some ways it's legitimate. So if someone does want to know what the best netbook is and you give some reasons why you like your netbook, that's a pretty reasonable kind of question for super user, I thought. It is, but it's a little bit time limited, which makes me nervous about those kind of questions because, yeah. I mean, two years from now, It'll be kind of irrelevant. It's like, what's the best netbook at this juncture in time, well, I mean, plus that's, or minus? That's the case for programming things as well. But much longer. I mean, like, yeah. Yeah, C-sharp, I mean, you, you, the, the lifespan of an average C-sharp question has to be at least three years, I would say, before it gets, like, weird to the point, like, oh, or, no, we would Or at least you would, you would tend to know, say, a year and a half ahead of C-sharp being released, you'd have some idea of what's coming. So, okay, if a couple of years ago someone had said, is C-sharp a statically or dynamic type? language, you would say, it's a statically typed language, because up until C-sharp 4, it has been completely statically typed. When C-sharp 4 comes out, you have these little areas of dynamic typing. That's true. So, you know, things like that will will get, and that's exactly what I've been doing. But there's the nothing last. more timeless, for the record, than John Skeet's schedule. That That is, is the rock of Gibraltar. That, that does that, stay that disturbingly... <laughs> So feel free to vote John's schedule up on Meta if you find it. And it's under Why Does John Skeet Never Sleep? Yes. Which relates to vamping, because you're a vampire. Yeah. I, I, I'm unable to uh, get the VPN to work. There's some kind of network thing blocking it. So I, I won't be able to get it. Well, why don't we question. make the magical editors edit this? Yeah, we can, but I just I can't get on there at all. Oh, you can't? No. The only thing I could do, I mean, I can check my email and see if anybody emailed me something personally. But just while John's, while John's doing that, um, you asked me a little while ago whether I research answers. Yeah. And um, there have been a few things that have ended up usually as blog posts after I've done a bit of research. So there was what sounds like a really simple question. Uh, what happens if I do new foo for a struct called foo? And I thought I knew the answer. And by the time I'd done some research, the number of different ways that things can happen for a value type called foo when you just new it up. Are we talking it, C sharp? Yeah, in C sharp. It yeah. will depend on whether it's got any parameters or not because if yeah. you've got a parameterless um, construct call, then it knows that it's going to just wipe some memory, so it can just assign straight to the variable. If you have got some arguments, then you can't just wipe over your previous value because it might throw an exception halfway through, and so it handles things completely differently, which led me to finding out, I think someone answered in one of the comments, actually you can have a parameterless uh, custom constructor in IL. It was Eric Lippert, wasn't it? It wasn't on in that particular case, but <laughs> Eric is just whoa. Yeah, I know. Any any of those weird corner cases? Because there's this yeah. book like Java Puzzlers, and that's also disgusting. Coders. Well, he um he was someone tweeted tweeted about it. Uh, I think it was either Jared or Kirill, one of the softies, um, tweeted that he was in a C sharp Puzzlers 
um, talk by Neil Gafter, oh. who did the Java Puzzlers, yes. and Eric Lippert, and say, how much would I have given to be there? Yes. Absolutely. Every awesome language stuff. has that, though. You know, there's, there's these, oh, these, yeah. these rare cases, most people don't get in there, but if you're a language designer, this is what you live and breathe, is yeah. these weird edge conditions. Absolutely. And, well, and then you just see them sometimes in real code, and you're like, what the? Yeah, things that really shouldn't, shouldn't happen are, are completely unexpected. But um, yeah, so, so sometimes I'll do research and that will end up as a blog post. Uh, one recently was how can I have an I enumerator of T, not I enumerable, but I enumerator of T that's thread safe so that I can hand the same iterator out to a bunch of threads and wow. have them all pick off one different thing. Um, or other, I think the original question was, is it always thread safe? And it's absolutely not. And it's partly inherently not thread safe. And you start to sort of dig into it all and think, well, if well, I were to do it differently, I could Once do you this. say threads, then I'm already like, okay, it's probably not safe. Oh, they're fun. <laughs> they're fun. We should, I pretend that's the listener question. I can't get out the listener questions no matter how hard I try. Okay. Um, but well, I can, I, here's a pretend listener question. <laughs> well, maybe John has an actual question for us. That's, a, that's even better. Oh, you should have warned me of this. I know, I should have. I should have. I apologize. Okay. You don't have I, to. I could ask you, why can't we see what badges are for? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm still intrigued by the rep cap being time-based. So what is the reasoning behind a time-based rep cap? So I understand the general principle of we don't want people to get on Stack Overflow or Stack Exchange or whatever and post one really good answer that shows that they know something well, the about guy, potentially one thing. The battleship guy would have 690 rep right now yeah. from one question. Right. He had no caps at all. Okay, so suddenly they get loads of edit privileges and whatever. And you think maybe they ought to know the system a bit better. Yes. Right. So, Or just like take it easy. I mean, I, I guess one philosophically, one way I look at this is like, you know, take it easy. You know, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I mean, the goal is not to get millions of rep in a day. The goal is to spend, like... I mean, John, he's a shining example of this. This is what he does because he enjoys it, and yeah. he, he's better every day because of it. It's more like a ritual, like you said, where you come in and you do it a little bit, not too much. Yeah. And I think I don't want people to get addicted. Like, if you're. Oh, you're way, no, 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 way no, no, no. too late. Oh, come on. I, I don't want people to spend all their time. Well, I, I want. Speaking, that train has already sailed. I want, oh, these, yeah. I want these tiny slices of people's time. I want them to keep coming back. So, the addiction part, I, I do want. I mean, I want it to be engaging to the point that they'd like it. You they don't want, want to be there. obsessed. No, I don't. I, it's like. Like, get be, into it like World of Warcraft. Do your job. Like, like, go to yeah. work. Do your job. Yeah. See your family. And then every 10 minutes, you know, when you have 10 minute block of time, you're like, hey, I'd like a little puzzle to There is also a certain part of human nature to that, which is that. By making it so that there's just not that much to do on Stack Overflow after about an hour or two of looking at a day, you start to run out of stuff that you can do. The worst thing we could do on Stack Overflow. Which is important because if you gave people enough stuff to do, they could become so obsessed with it that eventually they would just start breaking it. it become, well, no, then it becomes the thing that they're doing. They're yeah. no longer doing the programming. They're doing the Stack Overflow, yeah. which is completely contrary to my entire philosophy of the yeah. site. I mean, yeah. you're a programmer first. Whereas, like, say, World of Warcraft could not care less if that's oh, all you do all day long. That's all you well, do. Well, they like it, presumably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. It, so I, I think that's sort of my multi-level answer to that. Is like, I, from a technical standpoint, you're right. There's no technical reason we couldn't try different approaches. Although, to be fair, when you when you originally brought this up, and this is, gosh, back in December, because I remember sitting in the hotel and I was trying all these different techniques. Uh, you posted that it didn't actually change much. It didn't change much. So we tried, like, what, what were the, well, let's talk about alternatives. So if we didn't cap rep per day, we could cap it per question. 
Um, what are some of the other ways you could yeah, limit? Yeah, so the question would be kind of useful because there's that one question that I just, well, maybe I'm... But then that becomes unfair because... Questions they, sometimes become like excruciatingly popular because of the outside world. So like one, I had an answer to some esoteric question about IOCs and uh, it was very, very popular for a long time until some IOC because it was kind of... It sort of said IOC containers are more complicated. Oh, this is the one that had like negative 40. Yeah. <laughs> I think it went to negative Did you 50. see this? There <laughs> was a discussion of IOC containers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and somebody, had, uh, and, and I had said, you know, it, it's it's too bad because it's basically an elegant idea, but uh, people have come up with these complicated IOC containers it's impossible to figure out. They're writing in academic, basically, for ag- other academic programmers, and they have 200-page manuals. I was referring specifically to some Microsoft one. I can't remember the name, but Unity? No. That's certainly a Microsoft IOC. I think it might have been Unity, and uh, and the manual for it was uh, 189 pages, yeah. uh, <laughs> and and I thought that's ridiculous. This is a concept that is basically you know setting a property of an object. I think the spring manual pretty <laughs> so, pretty long, but um, yeah, it's so anyway, that's what I so I, I, I basically were saying this is basically this has gotten too complicated for regular people to use, and regular people are not going to use it. I think that's what I said more or less. And for a long time, that was very popular, and that's kind of I guess the most people agreed with it. What happened is at some point, some IOC fanatic blogger. Uh, link to it and got all the other IOC financial media blog to go in there and vote me down. <laughs> Which so is similar to what happens that every one went time to on minus the podcast. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, every time I mention something on the podcast, it goes yeah. up 973 points. So, oh, I see what you're doing. So basically what I'm saying is the outside world sometimes brings large traffic into very narrow parts of Stack Overflow that weren't designed to withstand the large amounts of traffic. Uh, which maybe we want to sort of detect. And I guess I guess my philosophy on it now is like you know it's like that classic Churchill quote about democracy. It's like it's it's worse than every other every other system. Every other system yeah, you know, better we, than every other system, but awful. awful yes, but better than I can't. Uh, of course, I can't remember the exact quote. But the point is that democracy it's the worst sucks. possible system except for all the others. Yes, right. ex- thank yeah. you. That's that's a perfect paraphrasing the quote. Um, so the way we arrived at the system, I, I, I feel it works. I feel like I yeah, don't yeah. see any, any major exploits. I'm willing to go as far as to say that there's nothing wrong with the fact that reputation out just because we have a lot of people listening to our podcast and therefore we can influence a question and get a lot of points. Well, that's actually the way the world works. I mean, the, the, that, that just says yeah, that there's no our system to... is not closed, that that your reputation reflects your reputation. A lot of people listen to our podcast because of our reputation. Although and ironically... it seeps into our point scores... On Stack Overflow, there's nothing broken about that. Well, ironically, there's no cap on negatives, though. <laughs> so you could actually... <laughs> but it would take so many downloads. Yeah. It would take so many because it's so nerfed. The weird thing is the bizarre sort of dynamics that get introduced because of this. So you have two different sort of sides to your day amongst you. Myself and Mark Ravel, etc. There's the before the rep cap and not after the rep it, Not cap. that it's a competition, does, of course. But it doesn't necessarily <laughs> change how you answer things, but it, it affects how you hey, check Mark, up on the answers. Is Mark going to be at Debbie's? I don't know. He wasn't at one point, but uh, I think he might have. Okay, I hope he might comes. have sneaked. Yes. He's a great guy. I mean, we've. Sorry, I interrupted you, but you were saying there's certain. Yeah, so so it affects maybe how you check on questions and things, um, and obviously how much. 20 points early on in the day, who cares? 20 points through accepted questions, or 30 points for two accepted answers is huge. So uh, I think my best for the day, excluding bounty, because that's sort of cheating, um, is... How is that cheating? It's completely legitimate. Just, well, you know, um, is 463, I think. Wow. Some, uh, something around that. And you think, 
nearly half of that was the easy stuff. Right. Four hundred sixty-two point. We should put, we should put that on the user page. We should we should actually calculate the, the max day you've had because yeah. that would be a useful stat because that would cause people to optimize for accepted answers. Which I view optimizing for accepted answers, I think, is totally by design. Right. Because it's much harder to get. Because well, the rep person, cap certainly helps on that. Yes, the rep cap helps there because those are immune to rep cap as are bounties. So your goal, and I think your goal is always to be the best answer. I mean, that's that gives yeah. you the best results. You can't always get there, but it also means you have to have a relationship with the person. They have to physically click, okay, mm-hmm. this was the best answer. So not only do you have to have the best answer, you have to convince that person, that one person, which yeah. sometimes people are crazy, as you will know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so convince that one possibly crazy person that you actually did have the best answer. So you kind of have to speak to that person, to their specific details, the things they wanted, not just a generic, here's how you would do it, which a lot of people would like, but like, how do I do it? Although there are, with my there are other problem. questions, I can think of a couple of questions where someone's come with a preconceived notion, basically saying, I'm right, aren't I? Oh, yes. And the answer is, no, you're not right, because you don't understand parameter passing wow. or whatever. If you can get an accept off and that, that's incredible. No, but you end up with an accepted answer that's got minus one, and your answer's got sort of 30 or something. <laughs> well, we have a badge for that. We have the reversal badge. Yeah, uh, reversals for reversals pop- for negative questions. Populist is you have to have. You beat ten the All right, this is turned into inside. Sorry, 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 sorry. No, 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 no. No, no. Hereby declare. That's okay. That's okay. This could be the listener question. That this match is ended. Yes. The Stack Overflow Podcast Hotline. If you have any questions that Jeff and I can not be able to get to, no, but we'll be back at home and we'll get them. We'll get. To we'll them get to them. We swear. Please call the Stack Overflow Podcast Hotline at 646-826-3879 or email at the podcast at stackoutflow.com. This wiki page where listeners from around the world contribute by transcribing all this gibberish onto a wiki page. It is located um, at, uh, well, you can. there's a link to it from blog.stackoutflow.com where you'll also find the show notes with hyperlinks to all the things that we mentioned during the show. Thanks, John Skeet, for being on. Yes, Thank thanks for having. hosting us. It's been lovely. And for hosting us here at Google London. See you next week. See you next week. You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Joel Spolsky. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is Jeff Atwood. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.